Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 116. I'm your host, Eric Moore. And this week, we're going to be talking about what, well, what is going on with inflation. But how do you read these inflation numbers? Like, what is CPI versus PCE? What makes up the CPI? How did it go up, you know, 4.2% versus only monthly? It went up 0.8%. Is that high? Is that low? Uh, what what are things that are missing from there? And then just something I'm watching, and I've talked about this before, I've written some articles about it, but it's just this flexible versus sticky CPI. And sticky CPI, in my opinion, is a, a better gauge of whether long-term inflation is actually changing. And there's some nuances with the the CPI basket. In other words, when do you do substitutes? What are those hedonic adjustments, meaning updates? You know, your iPhone is is more expensive, but you've got more features on it. So in theory, you're getting more value. And then with regard to, I mean, some of this might surprise you. Uh, when they look at the CPI, I think based on the BLS, Department of uh, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, right? So BLS, they actually use surveys so they'll actually survey people and in some regards say, you know, how, you know, what are you paying for items? And then they actually have a sample of something they would give them to sort of keep track of their purchases. So, you know, hey, I went to the store, I bought milk. Uh, what's the price of milk excluding taxes? And then I go and I say where I bought it and things like that. So I'll talk about that a little bit as well. But first things first, so quite surprising this, uh, this past week that we had inflation come out and the expectation was not 4.2%. So 4.2% is the year-over-year -year, uh, level of inflation. So when you see that, so it, it's interesting, right? So when you see, for example... If there was a plus 4%, uh, let's say GDP, gross domestic product, came out, and it was plus 4% for the quarter, it would actually be plus 16% annualized. And so you would see it announced as plus 16%. But what they actually do is they take the quarter, and then they annualize it. Annualizing meaning assuming that you get that running across four quarters, right? So... With inflation, the way it works is when you see the number come out, um, you know, headline inflation is the CPI. That's the Consumer Price Index. And when it said 4.2%, what it did was it measured the index or the basket of goods in April of 2020. And then it looked at that same basket in April of 2021 and it calculated the percent change. So... There was, uh, so April, and put it, let's look at it this way. Let's imagine that, I don't know, the, uh, the temperature was 80 degrees last April. And then you said, okay, well, this April, the temperature is 90 degrees. So that's an increase of 10 points. So you go from 80 to 90. Well, you'd say, oh, okay, so... From last April to this April, uh, on this day, or maybe the average is 80, went from 80 to 90. That's a 12.5% increase. So therefore, temperatures are up 12.5%. And, 
and at the same time, you could say, well, well March was, I don't know, uh, March was 88, and then April is, is 90 degrees, right? Let's say on average. Well, then on a month over month, 88 to 90 is only 2.27% um, of an increase, right? So that's, that's why you hear people on the Fed and you hear commentators saying, part of the reason for high inflation, this is what they're saying, is we've, it's called the base effect. And the base effect just means, what are you using from last year? So last year, April 2020, versus uh, this year, 2021. And the base effect, what they're, they're talking about there is your April 2020, um, you had deflation or you had prices that obviously weren't rising because that was really the, the middle of all the lockdowns. So you had the lockdowns, uh, you had nobody going to work, theoretically nobody leaving their house, right? And let me put that in a little further perspective. And by the way, when we talk about the CPI, it's actually the, the index for all urban consumers in the United States, all right? So we know it's a ba- CPI is a basket of good in theory. You know, you have lobster, you have steak, you have healthcare, you've got used cars, car rentals, everything. It's put in the basket, kind of like if you had a, a grocery basket. And it measures the price of that. And then it measures the price the next month and then the next month. And so, but to give you an idea, the basket in February of 2022 was 258.824. That basket went down in March of 2020 to 257.989, dropped again, 256.192, and it dropped again in May, 255.942. So basically what you're doing is April of 2020 was 256.12, sorry, 0.192. And then if you look at this April, it's 266.832. So the difference there, the change divided back into the the April 2020 number gets you the the plus 4.2%, okay? So I won't spend too much more time on on that. And then the way they get the 0.8% as you look at that's March of 2021, so last month, 264.793, uh, to 266.832, and that was a little bit less than 1%, okay? But the point is that, and I would expect May's, uh, when May gets released, and that won't get released until June, I would expect that's going to be pretty high too because you had, uh, May was the lowest CPI number that we had, so we actually had def- deflation uh, February to March, March to April, April to May, before CPI started rising again. So that's what you're you're hearing about when you hear sort of the the base effects. Okay. Okay. So let's continue. Okay. So what makes up the CPI? Well, when you hear it announced, they're going to announce the all items, and then they also announce the CPI less food and energy. So it was four point two percent. April of 2020 to April of 2021 increase, excluding food and energy, it was 3%. So 1.2% difference there. Well, actually, yeah, 1.2 percentage point difference, I guess is the correct way to say it. And the reason why they, they issue uh, CPI and then they also issue the, the core CPI, less food and energy, the belief is that food and energy is more volatile 
And so that can move around quite a bit. When I talk about the PCE and then the trimmed mean PCE, uh, that actually does some other adjustments. So what's in the CPI? Well, all items. Okay, you knew there's all items. That's 100% weighting. But then food makes up about uh, just under 14%. And I won't read every one of these. I'll put a link to this, uh, the BLS website. You can actually pull this up. Uh, but for example, you know, in, under food, it's just under 14%. And then there's food at home, which makes up, uh, you know, 7.7 of the, the, we'll call it 14. And then you got things like, I don't know, rice, rice, pasta, cornmeal, which is, you know, uh, a tiny amount. Biscuits, white bread, cookies, and you know, crackers, fresh sweet rolls, coffee cakes, and donuts. So they have their own line. That's kind of under the the other bakery products. And uh, yeah, I said I would not read everything, so let, let me kind of move along here. But you've got dairy products, uh, fresh vegetables, those types of things. So you, you have all the the food items, and then uh, a big component too is energy. Now, energy actually went up April of 2020 and April of 2021. Energy commodities increased 47, almost 48%. Energy itself as the category was up over 25%. So you might remember, you know, energy or oil at one point closed negative. And then that was only for a month. That was delivery issues and storage issues and all that types of stuff. But so energy is, uh, you know, just under 7% a weighting of, of things that you you were doing. And under there, you know, there's energy commodities, fuel, oil, things like that. I'm just looking here at gasoline, uh, unleaded regular, which is part of gasoline uh, as a, you know, they kind of have a couple of components. You know, that was up almost 52%. So you're looking at this. There's actually one that was up almost 100%. I'll get to that though. But then you have things like, you know, all items or uh, less food and energy. And here, you know, furniture and bedding, appliances. For example, laundry equipment was up 23.4%. Uh, that's under major appliances. And that's, that's a really small subset of, you know, all items, less food and energy. And then you kind of come down and... You know, there were some things that went down. For example, no surprise here, people working from home, men's suits, sport coats, and outerwear. That was down 7.4%. So all of these are weighted. Some of these have tiny weightings. Others, you know, have larger weightings. Um, here is kind of an interesting one, though. New trucks up positive 2.3%. New cars uh, we're up 1.6%. And this is part of the transportation commodities, less motor oil, which is about 7% or so. And, but used cars are up 21%. So quite a, a big a disparity there. Um, I did say, you know, but this, this would be a really boring podcast. All I did was go through and read all these. So I'll put a link to it. Uh, but there, there was uh, one that was up close to 100%, and that's car and truck rental. They were up 82% year over year. And so you might remember, I don't know if you saw the story, and it's a great example of substitutes in economics, but in Hawaii, car rentals got so expensive that people were actually going to like Home Depot and, and doing the U-Haul rental 
Uh, I don't know if it's the same price out in Hawaii as it is in Arizona, but you know, over here you'll see, you know, rent uh, twenty dollars a day to have a small U-Haul thing, right? One of those little vans or, or uh, pickup trucks. And so people started renting those instead, and that's that's an example of substitution effect. And substitution is actually important because some of the, you know, the CPI does make adjustments, so it's a little bit slower to make adjustments. The PCE uh, is that's another uh, indicator of it's similar to CPI, but it works a little bit differently, has different weights, and that one is a little more nimble as well, but. You know, the idea is that with substitutes, let's say if you really like chicken, but chicken goes up 8 million percent, you're like, oh, I really like chicken, but I don't like it at $50, you know, for one of those packages with three chicken breasts in it. And so I'll go to turkey or I'll go to pork or, or, um, uh, or steak or ground beef. I guess that's kind of, well, that's not the same, but you get what I'm saying. So that is kind of an important thing to, uh, to think about. But when you see inflation, just know that it's, it's actually, these are all weighted in the basket. And what you're seeing is the year over year. So when May comes out, it's going to be May of 2020 to May of 2021. And that's going to be your number. And that is the difference year over year. And then you'll see a difference month over month. The month over month will be from April 2021 to May of 2021. And you'll get those numbers as well, all right? So that's kind of what you're you're looking at. Oh, and one other thing I wanted to, I, sh- I should mention this because it's a really big component of the CPI, and that's shelter. So shelter is a pretty big, uh, I'm just looking here for the uh, the component. Give me a second, I'll find it. All right, there we go. So uh, shelter is about 33%. And when they say shelter, it's rent of shelter. And there, there's a couple ways they do this. They, they look at actual rents, but then they actually do what's called owner equivalent rent of a primary residence. And for that one, and that's a pretty big component, that's essentially saying to people who are either renting out their houses or you know, if you own a house, say, hey, if you're going to rent it, how much would you charge per month? So there's flaws about the way that's done and the way I described it. I'm being a little bit cavalier about it, but there are people who say, eh, I don't know if that's the, the best way of doing it. And I'll get to the survey process um, and how some of these are, are done in, you know, a little bit later. So the PCE or the, uh, you know, we look at CPI versus PCE, uh, and PCE, by the way, stands for personal consumption expenditure. This is actually what the Fed prefers or looks at. You can say either one when they're looking at inflation. And they're not the same, though. And typically, the, the PCE tends to, you know, inflation CPI tends to be a little higher than than PCE. And conversely. PCE tends to be a little higher when you have deflation during a recess, you know, recession or something like that. Um, so it doesn't go down quite as much. So one of the main differences is the weights, uh, you know, what's in these indices, they're different. And so, you know, when you look at housing 
and I talked about the owner equivalent rents and things like that. You know, you look at uh, the CPI and the CPI, you know, it's going to be around 40%, or at least it can be as high as, you know, 40%. And the, the PCE tends to drop that down. And so that's going to be a lot less. Uh, I saw one where, you know, owner equivalent or, or, uh, or housing, shelter, that type of stuff was, you know, 35%, but PCE was only, you know, in, in the high 20s or something like that. So th- those do change, but the weightings are different. The other thing that the CPI doesn't really, it's not as nimble. I think it only rebalances every two years. and But the PCE, that's going to adjust a lot more frequent. So how frequent? I think it actually does it quarterly. And so what types of adjustments are they making? Well, they might add things. They might take things out. They might reduce the weightings, increase the weightings based upon what consumers are actually doing. Uh, the other difference I believe is in, in these measures is PCE tends to ask businesses or survey businesses, while the CPI tends to survey individuals. And, you know, some people like that idea because they say that individuals don't really know what they're paying for stuff or, you know, it's, it's, it's not capturing where a business certainly knows what they're paying. Uh, as long as they're keeping good books and records and they know what they're selling stuff for. So, you know, that's, uh, that's a lot different. And then, you know, I don't want to bore you with the, the ins and outs of this. Hopefully that, that gives you a little bit. Uh, oh, and then the trim mean inflation. So trim mean inflation was actually created by, I think it was Fisher at the Fed. Um, I'm not quite sure if he, he's a, a former Fed governor of the Dallas Fed. But what they do is, if you imagine all of these items and all the weights, each month they take the ones that went up the most or went down the most, and they throw those out and they keep the middle. So, for example, I was looking at the, the March or sorry, the March to April numbers, and film and photographic supplies. Uh, the one month annualized change was down thirty five percent, right? So in theory, that's 35 divided by 12, right? But I won't bore you with the math. Um, pleasure boats, those went down 15% on an annualized basis. You know, things like that, televisions. So those are all things that went down. And then uh, they actually have motor vehicle rental. They have it up plus uh, 279%. And, and there's different ways that, again, that those are measured. But that gets tossed. Gasoline gets tossed. Fuel oil gets tossed. And so what you're left with is the things in the middle. Now, I only named a couple of these. So what's in the, the trim mean PCE? It's uh, wine. Uh, it is uh, pets, small electric household appliances, fish and seafood. Anyway, we won't read all those off. But just think about it. It's kind of like how they do a median versus the, the, you know, the collective average. So you take the stuff that went up the most, take the stuff that went down the most, and you toss it. And so they argue that the trim mean uh, PCE inflation is a better way of of measuring stable, uh, more of a stable measurement. Okay. All right. So the ch- all right. So let me backtrack. So the challenge with all this talk about inflation is 
is it transitory, like the Fed says? And the Fed says, look, it's the base effect. You're comparing a month this year to a month last year. We were in total lockdown for good parts of the country. Um, or is inflation really, really picking up? It's going to, um, you know, really start to fire in all cylinders. We're going to see a lot of inflation is going to build on itself. And the reality is we won't know until after the fact, right? And everybody has predictions. But um, as I said, I, I sort of have started to watch what's called the sticky CPI and the flexible uh, CPI. And the difference is there's things that the price has changed frequently and there's things that you know you can, uh, a business, let's say, is able to change the price. So price is more, you know, it, it's sort of more elastic, right? Elastic is the fancy way of saying uh, prices, when they change, uh, demand is going to change as well. So if, if you jack up, uh, you know, and this is the, the conventional thing, if you jack up, um, I don't know, fruits and vegetables or something like that. So, you know, demand might might wane on those. Or you might do substitutions. But the, the way that flexible price items versus sticky price items works, it's what are flexible things, meaning the prices can change quite a bit. And no surprise, fresh fruits and, and vegetables, motor fuel, car and truck rental. You've got uh, men's and women's apparel, cereal, footwear, other food at home. Um, so, you know, these are all things where price is more flexible. If you look at things that aren't quite as flexible, there are things like, I don't know, recreation, public transportation, rent of a primary residence, food away from home, motor vehicle insurance, uh, household furnishings and operations, motor vehicle fees. So you've got sort of this bilateral uh, look at things where that can change a lot and things that don't change quite as much. So if I'll put a link to this and the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, which this is created by people at the Cleveland Fed, but the, the uh, good place to look at this is the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta and they do sticky price CPI, but then they also have the two lines. And so if we look, we know that CPI just went up, what we say, 4.2%. Um, well, you can look and, you know, if you look at, let's say, one month change in the sticky CPI, let's well, actually do flexible. The one month annualized CPI flexible was up 25%. The 12-month was up 10.4%. But then if you look at sticky CPI, its 12-month was up 2.4%. Its one-month annualized was up 5.7%. So there's quite a bit of difference. I mean, just look at the 12-month as 10.4 versus 2.4. And on the Atlanta Fed site, you can actually go and, and make the... Uh, you know, the chart go all the way back. Uh, let me see what's the most you can get back. You can make it go back to 1967. But you can, uh, let me just take off the one month. Let me make some adjustments. 
you know, if I go back and I, I run this all the way back, what you're gonna see is, I mean, there were times where here, I'll just pick a, a, a plot in time. Let's look here, this is 2005. So the sticky CPI over the last 12 months, uh, September of 2005 was up 2.4%. The flexible CPI was up 10.9. And then, you know, by when is this? October of 2006, the flexible was down 1%. And so if you could see this graph, and I encourage you to, to go check it out, um, you would see that this flexible CPI, it oscillates quite a bit, meaning it moves up and down um, quite a bit of difference. But the sticky CPI, the stuff that's, that's harder for prices to change, and that does not move. It's more of a straight line. In fact, it's been you know, within a range since the early 80s, and the flexible stuff sort of oscillates around it. So, you know, and then, but if you go back and you go back, let's say to 1970, or you look at, uh, you know, 74, 1980, those two lines are actually moving in, in tan tangent uh, together, right? So they, you saw sticky CPI rising, and we know that there was structural price inflation in the 1970s and early 80s until, it, you know, kind of the Fed raised rates to, you know, people had 15%, 20% mortgages back then. So my point of bringing this up again is um, I know there's a lot of headlines out there. But what I'd encourage you to do is go to the Federal Reserve, uh, Atlanta Fed, Federal Reserve site, or just Google sticky CPI. I'll put a link in the show notes. And I think this is a, you know, a better way to sort of track things. Now, if let's say um, the sticky CPI also starts to rise, that potentially might be, you know, an indicator that, you know, maybe things are uh, on a, a structural basis starting to go. Um, but this this peak of I'm just looking the April 21 peak is probably uh, is that as high? Yeah, I mean that exceeds the peak in August, uh, basically the same August of 2008. The flexible CPI was up 10.4 percent. By the way, sticky 12 month was up 3.2 percent. So you know don't always read stuff into the short term. Uh, looks, I mean, let's be honest, right? August of 2008, we were in the midst of a recession. Uh, if I go to, you know, back, I don't know, let's go back September of 2005, flexible CPI, 12 months was up 10.9%. And then we know that we really haven't had inflation since the early 80s. Uh, to give you an idea of how bad inflation was. So, and this would be the last number I read to you. Uh, March 1980, Sticky was up 13.9% year over year. Flexible, flexible was up 16.7%. We had inflation back then. So um, I think that's, that's one of the, the things I would keep an eye on. So we talked about, and I've got some other stuff I want to get to, because uh, people ask me about uh, you know, substitutes and how are adjustments made to quality of items. So... Let's talk about the, um, the adjustments. And so the, the CPI originally, what it would do is it would keep the basket relatively fixed and only 
and only if you know they would change the weights. I don't recall how how they how often they used to change the weights. Would it change? And but substitutes are. I gave you the example of the rental cars and, and the U-Haul. You know, if, if uh, consumers are pretty smart and they'll either change behaviors or they can they can find a substitute. So like, and things that aren't substitute, like pickles and peanut butter, they are not substitutes. You're like, oh, peanut butter is $1,000 a jar. I'll just put pickles on my sandwich um, and on my bread instead. And that's, that's a good substitute. Probably not, right? But if you have things that are readily, readily substitutes, consumers likely will, will transfer over there. And the PCE does, uh, since it's flexible quarterly, that tends to adjust the, the weighting of the items in the basket a little more readily. And that's part of why the, the Fed, Federal Reserve in the U.S. likes to look at that measure. So, but substitutes were not necessarily part of the equation, even in CPI a long time ago. They would just fix it. And even if consumers, I mean, imagine if hamburger meat was $1,000 a pack. Like, who would buy hamburger meat? It's not that good. And so, obviously, consumers are not going to buy that anymore. So, the idea of putting substitutes in and using substitution is a little more accurate. Then, so... The other thing is what they call hedonic adjustments. And hedonic adjustments are where you look at an item, and but you also weight it based upon the features and benefits and you know upgrades. And so the easiest one I always use is, you know, you have an iPhone, one year it's a thousand dollars. Why a thousand? Because that's just easy for me to do math. But it's a thousand bucks, and next year it's twelve hundred. And you're like, well, you have twenty percent inflation. On the iPhone, which is part of you know uh, consumer electronics, right? But here's the thing: what if the new iPhone has an unbelievable camera, battery life, a lot more speeds, a lot more features, a lot more benefits? There's a very complex formula. It's called a hedonic adjustment, and what they do at the BLS is they they adjust it for increases or decreases in quality. So not everything is adjusted, but um, a bunch of items are. So that's that's an important aspect. Um, I think, you know, I'd have to double check on this. I should have checked on this before. But TVs are a great example of, by the way, TVs prices, uh, especially adjusted for inflation, even not adjusted for inflation. Maybe. Anyway, they, they've been dropping in price for years and years. And think about what you can get today. For a couple hundred bucks, you can get a pretty nice TV, HDTV, 4K. And so TVs are a great example. Not only is the quality going up, but the price has been going down for, for many, many years. So, um, but, you know, that's, that's a big deal. By the way, there, there's, a, you know, another thing we have been, you know, deflation isn't necessarily all bad because if you have deflation, prices come down. Uh, deflation can hurt businesses. So if they lose pricing power, they lose margins, that type of stuff. Deflation also can can make people not you know, hold off on purchase, purchases. So, you know, if you think, take TVs, for example. Like if you don't really need a TV, you know, if you really need one, like if your TV goes out or blows up or something, catches fire, 
let's just say it goes out, stops working, and you like TV, you're probably going to go buy a TV. And and it's great because this is a, a you know consumer electronics like TVs have continued going down for years. But if you have a TV already and you're like, ah, I might need a new one, but you know, there's no rush because these things keep getting better, keep going down in price. And I know the day after Thanksgiving or Christmas is going to be all these sales or Memorial Day, 4th of July. Yeah, I'd like a TV, but it doesn't matter. I'll just wait. And so that's an example of, of consumers who might put off a purchase because they always perceive that prices will be lower or you'll have better quality at either the same price or, or lower prices. So, um, But certainly, you know, that's, that's part of it. But the other thing is with technology, you know, the technological advances and the stuff that you have your, at your disposal, I think I may have talked about it on the program before. There's an economist uh, who teaches, I think it's one of the, uh, it's one of the city colleges. I can't remember his name. So, but it's, it, this is not my idea, but he actually had a, I think he published an article and he put a picture of uh, a Radio Shack catalog and he was kind of showing, you know, all the things you would have had to buy at Radio Shack individually and the prices of those adjusted for inflation against what you actually, you know, have in your iPhone right now. So think about it. Like you have a, the level, you have a, a me, you can measure stuff digitally with your, your iPhone. Uh, you have a stopwatch, you have uh, an alarm clock, you have all these things. Uh, a lot of, a lot of them might have, you know, you have access to a radio, you have a phone, you have, Anyway, you get the point. And so we've been in this disinflationary period. And a good example of this too, I was, I was thinking uh, back to, do you remember when people had to buy encyclopedias? Do you remember that? And those of you who are younger are like, I don't, why would you buy a bunch of encyclopedias? But think about this. All the stuff, I mean, I don't know how many volumes that would be in a set, but I remember they would cost $700 to over $1,000. And I think at one point time, people, I mean, believe it or not, like I remember the the door-to-door salespeople coming around um, and showing you, you know, hey, you can buy these Encyclopedia Britannica sets. I think that was the one. And then, you know, you, sometimes you get the phone calls or when I was working in an office, they would come by and um, and sometimes, you know, they would also say, hey, you know, you buy these encyclopedias and We'll put in, a, you know, like Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson in a, in a bound book or all these classics, right? You know, the other day, I'm just thinking, by the way, I can Google Robert Louis Stevenson, Treasure Island, and it's open source books because the, the copyrights have run out. It's published so long ago. And I can just pull it up on Google and read it. Um, don't have to leave my house. can pull it up in two seconds. In fact, anything I want to know, I can Google and find the answer. I don't need to buy $1,000 worth of encyclopedias to have it. And by the way, those encyclopedias are a point in time looking backwards, and they're, they're pretty extensive, obviously. Um, but, but we've been in, in kind of a, a disinflationary due to the, the increases in technology for quite some time. Okay, here's the last thing I want to cover. And that's how do they actually get this data? So some of this is surveys. And by surveys, and I'm on the BLS website, I think they, they pull 14,000 households. So they pull about 14,000 households. I think that's correct because I, I believe I read it on the BLS site. 
And they give these people, there's actually a copy of the diary that they give people on here. And they, um, basically, they, they don't want to include sales tax except for meals, snacks, and drinks away from home. But on here, um, you know, they want to know, what did you buy? So they say, hey, record your daily expenses. And then what, what is it going to do? Well, they'll say, okay, I bought chicken wings. And is this item fresh, frozen, bottled or canned or other? So, you know, maybe they were frozen chicken wings, right? Or are they really fresh? I guess they're fresh if they're not frozen. Anyway, that's another story. And they say, okay, what's the cost? You know, $6 without tax. The name of the store or website. So maybe you went to Safeway or Fry's or Vons, A&P, Pathmark. Are those still around? And, you know, you mark this down. And so these households keep these uh, these journals or what they bought, and then they turn it in. As I said, some of the, the owner equivalent rents, they they ask people, hey, well, if you rented your house out or if you're renting your house out, you know, what is it that you're, uh, uh, you're renting or what would you rent it for? So um, the PCE and so the, the core CPI, and I remember too working at a retail store and somebody coming in and this is groundbreaking, you know, this is pre-internet. They had a, uh, a barcode reader and it could actually read the price tags. And so they were looking at, you know, the price of jeans and shirts and, and shoes and stuff like that. And I asked them what they're doing. They said, oh, they work for the government. So what do you do for the government? And they said, well, you know, when you see the, the, the prices of things and inflation, that's what we're, we're getting. And I thought that was, oh, that's interesting. And I said the difference too with the PCE, um, they tend to survey businesses directly about pricing. And so, and I got to be honest with you, like if I, if you ask me, what I paid for stuff I bought at the, the store, I don't know that I would, I would have an answer. I guess if I was part of the survey and I was keeping a diary, hopefully I would you know, put in the, the right price. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, I know it's tough for people to think about, but surveys and what they do is they, uh, they have enough people in the survey that think it's representative of the group of all urban consumers. There's different, you know, obviously methods there. And then they weight the, the people within the survey and then they, they go ahead and they extrapolate out, extrapolate out to, you know, to all the, all the pricing data. So there, there's some art to it, I, I suppose. Um, but, you know, they, they have made adjustments over the years and, um, but that's generally how they do it. And I probably would bore you to death if I went into, uh, you know, more stuff than that. So anyway, I hope that helps you with understanding. You're going to see a lot of stuff about inflation. In May, it's probably going to be up again because, you know, May is going to be going off the lowest. You know, the, the decline in uh, CPI was the lowest May of 2020. And so if you've got any increase month over month uh, from May of 21 to May of 2020, you're going to have quite a bit of, uh, you know, increase in the price of things. And so anyway, uh, again, don't spend time rating and reviewing. Instead, share this with someone who you think, you, you know, might benefit from it. 
And by all means, you know, uh, I get questions. Uh, I've been getting a lot of questions about inflation. And so figured I'd uh, do a little more of a, a deeper dive into, into these figures. I'll put some links in here too. Uh, the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, if you go there, if you Google uh, CPI or inflation BLS, you can find it there. Um, and on that site too, there's any number of things about how they do the surveys and the weighting. And so when you go to the BLS site, how I saw what the weightings were, I pulled up the PDF of the inflation release and it's all in there. So that's the magic there. And then as far as that sticky versus flexible CPI, uh, if you Google sticky price CPI uh, or flexible price CPI, Atlanta Fed, uh, the Atlanta Fed updates their graph as you know numbers come in. So once the release happened in, the, in April, they updated it. And so, uh, But that's what I want to watch. And I'd suggest that you watch that as well. And that will be a good way of seeing, you know, on the surface structurally, are we actually seeing sustained inflation or is this just some of the flexible things bouncing around? So take a look at that. All right, we'll be back next week with episode 117. This has been episode 116 and we'll talk to you soon.